to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We will be in verses 1 through 20 this morning. And as you turn there, I'll lead us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you now as we do every Lord's Day. To hear your word read, to hear your word preached, and for me to preach your word to your people. And as we enter this time, we all acknowledge that we are entirely dependent upon you. If we are to hear this word in faith, we need your help. If we are to believe this word, if we are to apply this word to our lives, we need your help this morning. So God, we do pray again for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit that he would accompany the preaching of the word this morning, that he would apply it to our minds and to our hearts, and that he would use it and wield it to guide us in life and faith. God, we ask that Christ would be made much of in this passage, in this time. We pray this in his name. Amen. If you're able, please stand in honor of reading and hearing God's word. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all of these things pondering them in her heart. 
And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And God bless the reading and hearing of his word. You may be seated. The Christmas story, the nativity. I'm sure it's a story that most of you are familiar with. I've been told some of you have probably even memorized or read this account on numerous occasions. It's very familiar to you. But there is some problem that sometimes comes with familiarity. We read this story to our children. We, we hear it read to us. It's been preached week or every Christmas week for millennia. And the problem that seems to arise within us is when we hear a story enough, we begin to think of it less like history, something that actually happened, and more like folklore, or more like, more like myth, or more like a fairy tale. And we all can be tempted to do this when we grow so familiar with the story and we lose the wonder that comes with the fact that all these things that Luke records actually happened. They happened in real history. The shepherds, they were real people. The angels that came, they were real. Mary and Joseph and that baby that lied in the manger, all real. It all actually happened. This is not a Disney fairy tale. These are true events that have true and eternal implications and importance. The question that Luke answers, or rather that we're going to seek to answer, is what does Luke want us to know about Jesus' birth? And from what I said, you might be able to tell what my point is. It's very simple. Luke wants you and I to know that Jesus' birth happened. That's what he wants to know. Or that's what he wants you and I to know. Luke, in the very first chapter, in the very first few verses of his gospel, tells Theophilus that he wants to present him with an orderly account of the things that they had heard. He wanted to tell him, he wanted to give him the details, as well as the church broadly, of all that Jesus had done and what he had accomplished. And Luke, very early on, includes the birth of Christ. Jesus' birth happened. And as I retell the story and apply the story, I want to draw out three aspects of Jesus' birth that I think Luke is, is calling us to embrace and look at and consider and ponder as Mary herself did. So number one, Jesus' birth happened and it was gentle. Jesus' birth happened and it was gentle. By gentle, I mean humble unassuming, unexpected in the way and the circumstances around his birth. It was not something that you would expect of the person who was being born, of his status. In the days of Caesar Augustus, Luke tells us, more popularly in history books, his name is Octavian. Octavian is the nephew of Julius Caesar. He came to power after Julius was assassinated. And Octavian ordered that there be a census all over the Roman district, all over the Roman Empire. And his reason for doing this, we are not told, but most likely it was for tax purposes. But Quirinius and 
in consort with Herod the Great, had each of these Jewish families, each Jewish man in particular, go to the place of their tribal ancestry. And why would he do this? Well, again, Luke doesn't tell us. We have to kind of read in between the lines. But if you know anything about the Jews' relationship with Rome during this time, it was not great. And to have the Jews do a census merely for taxes would have made them angry. So calling them to go to their home, their, the place of their tribal ancestry, it was more like calling them to be patriotic rather than to go and be taxed. Taxed by the foreign suppressors who ruled over them. And we are told that Joseph and his betrothed Mary went to Bethlehem, the city of David. Bethlehem was a very unassuming town. It, it was not a real big place. It was not a place where, of status, even though David came from there. It's, it's just a village. But Mary and Joseph go there while Mary's pregnant to be registered for the census. And, and Luke tells us that she was with child. Now, the trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem is not short. And they don't have cars to drive them. It was roughly a three-day walk, 90 miles or so, while Mary was pregnant, very pregnant, according to the text. Now, it would have not been required in that time for Mary normally to have gone with Joseph, but Joseph apparently didn't want to leave Mary alone, knowing that the birth of Christ was so imminent. So he brought her along. And Luke records all these historical details from Octavian or Augustus Caesar to Quirinius being in charge of Syria. He records all of these to locate the birth of Christ in human history. He is trying to say that Jesus was actually born at a specific time. At a time that everyone would recognize. He was born when Caesar Augustus ruled. And Quirinius was the governor of Syria. He was born. Luke believes that God is the Lord of history. That God is bringing history to the end that he purposes it. And one of those events that must take place to accomplish God's will is the birth of his son. So they go to Bethlehem. As it had been prophesied by the prophet Micah, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And there was no place in an inn. So Jesus was born in what was much like a stable. Don't miss the irony here. Jesus' first throne room was a stable. Jesus' first throne, the Messiah King, the Son of God, his first throne was a watering trough or a feeding trough. His birth is very, very humble, isn't it? God will often do what conventional human wisdom does not expect. God picks the least of these to be his people. God saved sinners when Jesus grew up to be a man. He hung out with sinners and tax collectors. 
He did what the people of his time did not expect. And Jesus' birth is no different. It is a humble birth. It is a gentle birth. And the only application I have of this point is believe it. Believe the humble birth of our Lord Jesus. Believe that he was born. That God the Son entered human history. This is a mysterious, this is a, is a glorious truth that the scriptures reveal to us in Luke. The eternal God, the infinite one, became an infant, as Charles Spurgeon once wrote. The infinite became an infant. And as we've been reading in Mark, he came with a purpose to save sinners like you and me. Believe in the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Believe it in your heart. Believe that it actually happened in history. So the first point is, Jesus' birth happened, and it was gentle. The second point is, Jesus' birth happened, and it was good news. Jesus' birth happened, and it was good news. Where do I get that from? Well, I get that from what immediately takes place after we are told Jesus is born. Somewhere in that vicinity, not too far off, there were shepherds watching over their flock by night. Now, shepherds during this time period were not respectable people. They often would confuse what belonged to them with what belonged to others. They were not the most respected, they were not the most trusted, they were not the best people to have been chosen to be the first outside of those to whom Jesus was born to, to hear of the good news that the Savior was born. And yet, while they're watching over their flock, maybe expecting a predator to come or a thief to come, something else entirely arrives. We're told that an angel appears to them. Now, yes, predators might be frightening. Thieves might have been frightening. But an angel, that's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? And we are told that when the shepherds saw the angel, they cowered in fear. They were afraid. They were afraid that they might die, even. But the angel told them not to be afraid. He, in fact, told them, in verse 10, look there, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Rather than killing them, the angel gave them the good news of the gospel. He told them that he came to bring good news for all the people. That phrase, all the people, that's a very significant phrase. And, and it's very significant in particular to Luke. Luke, throughout his gospel, is going to show that Jesus is not only a savior of those people who are respectable. 
Jesus is not only a savior of the Jews. Jesus is a savior for all kinds of people. He is a savior for Jew and Gentile, for rich and poor, for, for sinner and holy ones. He is a savior for all kinds of people. That is why the birth of Christ is such glorious news. He would not only save some kind of people, the perfect ones, but he would save all kinds of people. Is that not good news? The shepherds certainly thought so. The angel then told them that they would go to Bethlehem and they were, a sign to them would be that they would find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Jesus' birth is good news. To my knowledge, this is the only one of the only times in Scripture where three, the three titles that we find here are spoken of of Jesus at the same time. He's called Savior, he's called Christ, and he's called Lord. Savior. He is one who delivers God's people. Messiah, he is God's chosen one. Lord, he is the one who will rule forevermore. And the shepherds are told that this one, who Jews had been expecting for millennia, he had come. The one that God told the serpent would crush his head in Genesis 3.15 had arrived. The seed through whom all nations would be blessed, as God told Abraham, he had shown up. The ever-reigning king that God had promised to David, he had come, he was born. The suffering servant, the son of man, we could go on and on and on about all these prophecies that the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled in his coming. But the point is simple. It was good news when Jesus was born. Great news of great joy. Sometimes we don't only treat this birth narrative as a fairy tale, but sometimes when we look at the gospel account or when the gospel is told, we, we talk about it almost as if it's like advice, like it's a suggestion. But there is a difference between advice and news, isn't there? Advice is something like eat right, exercise, go to sleep. You can disregard it without great consequence on most occasions. But news is something that is true regardless of whether or not you believe it. This is not fake news. This is true news. And it's good news. You watch the news channels today, whatever true news you get is usually going to be bad news. Wars, sickness, death, murder, Criminality, disruption in politics, the economy collapsing, all these things make the breaking news cycle. But at the center of Scripture, the breaking news that flashes up and pops up from time and time again is that God has planned and orchestrated a great salvation of people like you and me. And this salvation arrived when God the Son was born. It's good news. 
Jesus' birth happened. It was gentle, and it was good news. The third point is, Jesus' birth happened, and it was glorious. Jesus' birth happened, and it was glorious. From verses 13 through 20, we, Luke presents to us several different groups of people who respond to the news of Jesus Christ in a pretty uniform fashion. They all celebrate. First, the angels celebrate. Look at verse 14. Here's what they say. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God. The angels give credit for the great salvation to come in this Savior who has been born. They give credit. They give glory to God. And then they allude to what will be accomplished. By the Savior, he will be, bring peace to God's people. But they celebrate, they sing, a whole multitude gathers and worships. Even the angels, these great mystical beings that they are, these spiritual beings, these terrifying beings, when hearing the news or announcing the news of the Savior's birth, what do they all do? They worship. They sing. They sing songs of worship to the king. But not only do these angels celebrate, the shepherds celebrate. After the angels left, the shepherds wanted to go see what the angels had told them. So they went to Bethlehem. And they found the baby. And not only did they find him, but they were so excited about what had been told to them that they reported it to everybody. They told his mother, they told all that were present. We don't know how many people showed up, but they told everybody. They couldn't keep it in. It was such good news, such glorious news, such news worthy of celebration that they had to tell everybody they came into contact with. We've all had news like that. I remember when I first found out that Lauren was pregnant with Joanna, I couldn't even wait a day. My dad was living with us at that time. I had to go tell him immediately so he would know. I had to get it off my chest. We have good news worth celebrating. And I didn't want to celebrate alone. I wanted everybody to know. And I was the same way with Leah, too. So, I mean, I get as excited about all of them. But the shepherds respond in a very similar way to the announcement of Jesus' birth. They celebrate it. They want others to celebrate it, so they tell people. Look at verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen or heard and seen as it had been told them. After they told everybody, they didn't only come celebrating, they left celebrating. They left glorifying God. So the angels celebrate, the shepherds celebrate, but they're not it. Everyone who's present celebrates. We are told that in verse 18. Look there, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They were amazed. They were astounded. They were perplexed. 
The Savior who they have been waiting for. They were just told that he's lying in that manger before them. Sure, they may not have understood the ins and outs, but I have no doubt with that mixture of confusion, there was also this, this bubbling up of joy and celebration. I mean, consider the prophecies that I mentioned earlier. I mean, Genesis 3.15, that would have happened by a, a, the least possible estimate of roughly 6,000 years ago. Roughly 4,000 years before Jesus was born. Or, or the prophecy to Abraham would have been another thousands or so years less than that, but still thousands of years. Even the prophecy made to David, that would have been some thousand years before Jesus was even born. Or Isaiah, some 800 years before that. Or Daniel, some 500 years before Jesus was born. They've been waiting a long time for the Savior to come. And they heard he had arrived. Can you imagine how excited they were? I mean, back to the analogy of when, when my children were born, I, I had to wait nine months, and that was a long time. But thousands of years, the Savior had come. So they celebrated. But the passage singles out one more person who celebrated. And that was Mary. Mary also celebrated. Look at verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I'm not sure. Actually, I'm pretty sure that Mary didn't understand everything that was happening. She likely was confused like the rest of them in some respect. But even with the confusion, throughout the Gospel of Luke, each time she hears something about God, she is presented as one who believes and accepts it. She takes in all that these shepherds say, and she ponders them over in her heart. Yes, she didn't celebrate elegantly or loudly or out loud, but she introspectively pondered all that was going on before her. She had just given birth to the one who would save the world. No one else will ever be in that sort of circumstance. That's completely unique to Mary. But she pondered it. She treasured it. She reflected upon it. And one day she would see all that these shepherds talked about come true. That baby she laid in the manger, that baby that she wrapped in swaddling cloths, that baby who she raised from childhood to adulthood was God the Son incarnate. He was the Redeemer of God's people. You can't tell me that she didn't celebrate. From the last point, the idea that the, the birth of Christ is good news, and the idea that this last point, that the birth of Christ is glorious, I have two applications. First of all, tell about it. Is that not what the shepherds do? Is that not what the angels do even before that? The angels come for one purpose, to announce the birth of the Savior. To announce that the Savior had come. And then immediately, what do the shepherds do? They go, they look, and they tell about it. They tell everyone what they heard from these angels. So Christian, 
Tell about the birth of our Lord. Tell about why, tell others why Christmas actually matters. Is it really just about gifts? Well, it's certainly about a gift or the gift, the greatest gift. But is it about all the gifts and giving that we have, we do? No, it's about something far more important. It's about Christ and his birth. It's about God the Son becoming man to redeem a sinful people. So like the shepherds, I charge you, Christian, I charge you this about this church. Speak about the birth of our Lord. We also know that he wasn't only born, but that he lived and that he died and that he rose again and that he will one day return. Tell people about that too. But start a tradition on Christmas, during the Christmas season, before all the gifts are open, to take a moment to reflect by yourself or with your family about what it is that you're actually celebrating. Perhaps read Luke 2, 1 through 20. If that's too long, read Luke 2, 1 through 7. It won't take long. You don't have to say anything eloquent, just read it aloud. And thank God that the Savior had come. Which leads to the next application. Tell others about it, but also celebrate it. Celebrate that Jesus Christ was born. Take pride and joy in this fact. Boast in none other but Christ and Christ alone. Trust in him. Plead to him. Talk about him like I said, but, but celebrate that Jesus is born. I've made this point before when I've said marvel at Jesus. When we sing songs of praise to our God and to our Savior Jesus, sing them. Sing them with some oomph, with some joy. Mean what you're saying. For me, it would be an application when I'm talking about the birth of Christ. I should smile because it's a happy occasion. Yes, I know that I'm a fairly stoic-faced person. I don't smile a lot when I preach. I could do it a lot more, and I should. Because what I'm telling you is the greatest news imaginable. It's better news than anyone could ever tell you. It's better than saying the cancer is gone. It's even better than when I was told that I was going to be a dad for the first time. Jesus, the Christ, the Savior, he was born. So as you leave today, like Mary, ponder these things in your heart. Like the angels sing praises and voice praises to God, like the shepherds tell others about what has happened in history. So what does Luke want us to know? He wants us to know that Jesus' birth happened. He wants us to know that it was a gentle birth. That it was and still is good news. And that it was and still is Glorious. That's what he wants us to know. What Luke tells us throughout his gospel is that Jesus' birth happened. That Jesus' holy life happened. That Jesus' sacrificial death 
on the cross for sinners like you and me happened. That Jesus' victorious resurrection, showing that God had accepted his payment for sin, guess what? It happened too. That is ascension to the right hand of God. It happened. And scripture also tells us, Jesus himself tells us in the Gospel of Luke, that his glorious and triumphant return will undoubtedly happen. Are you ready for it? Have you believed on Christ for salvation? Have you trusted in his death for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life? Christian, if you have, keep doing it. Keep looking to Jesus. When you sin, don't become so fixated on your sin that it distracts you from the one that you need to look to. Look to Christ. He is your Savior and your Redeemer. If you have grown in holiness and you're doing quite well and you think you're doing quite well, I want to encourage you, don't look at your holiness for assurance. Look at Christ and what he accomplished on your behalf. For apart from him, you are nothing. Apart from him, you will die and enter into judgment. But because Jesus was born, lived, died, rose again, ascended, and will return, you have life and life abundantly. Trust in Christ, believer. Keep doing it. An unbeliever, you need Jesus desperately. The birth of Christ is good news. He is not only a savior for perfect people, is he? In fact, he saves no perfect people. The first requirement to be saved by Christ, Paul tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know what you need to be saved by Jesus? You first of all need to be a sinner. And we've all got that one checked up. All you need to do is trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that his life and his death paid the penalty of your sin. Accept him as your Savior. Confess with your mouth, as Paul says, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead. Jesus' birth happened. And everything else that scripture records about Jesus happened. That baby became a man. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. He fellowshiped with sinners. He died on the cross. He rose again. He ascended. And he will come back. Are you ready? Are you ready? Because next to the first advent of Christ, that is his birth, the second advent of Christ is going to be the next glorious good news that we all hear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this reminder from Luke that our Savior was born, that he lived, that he died, that he rose for our justification, for our eternal life, for our sanctification, for our glorification. That Jesus is a Savior who actually saves and doesn't attempt to save. That he has accomplished all things that were prophesied about him and he will return to complete what he started.
And I pray, Lord, that you would help each and every one of us here to believe it, to tell others about it, and to celebrate our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to look to him, to cleave tightly to him, to sing and mean it about him and to him, to offer up our prayers through him, knowing that by Christ and through Christ we can approach your throne of grace, that in Christ we who were once enemies of God have been brought into your family. God, help us to embrace these truths, these glorious gospel truths. But let us begin today by understanding that the birth of our Savior happened. It was gentle, it, it was good news, and it was glorious. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you're able, please stand.